and what he's like. So what is God like? Pure, okay, he's, and we would, we would speak of that in the sense, what else would we say? What else is God like? Infinite, all right, so he has in his being, there is an infinite, um, infinite being within him. Unchanging perfection, so he doesn't change, he doesn't, um, he, and we'll talk about that a little bit when we talk about his impassibility, that's a big complicated theological term, but essentially says nothing can influence him, um, so he is, when he says something, he's going to come through on what he said, what else? No beginning or end, so there's a term for that, with something doesn't have a beginning, doesn't have an end, we, we would speak of it being alpha omega, Infinite, first and the last. You got Revelation 1, eternal, right? Yes, he's, he's, he's eternal. Very good. That was a good thing. Any, any other thoughts? What is God like? Omniscient? Omnipresent? You said omniscient, omnipresent, and then all-powerful. What's the omni word for that one? Om, omnipotent or omnipotent, yes, so... So omniscient, omnipotent, uh, omnipresent. So I'll give you the answer that we have here because the answer that we have covers really all these different types of things. Our great God is, now this is something that we, you know, I didn't hear mentioned. He is invisible. Um, is that important? That we understand that God is invisible. Okay, we're going to, when this is, that's just sort of where we're focusing on tonight because the other stuff we're going to cover a little bit later on, but the invisibility of God, there's some really important things said there. So our God is invisible, He's eternal, He's all powerful. The omni word for that is omnipotent, omnipotent. He's all wise. The, the omni word for that is omniscient, and He's always everywhere at once, which, which is the omnipresence of God. So our great God is invisible, eternal, all-powerful, all-wise, and always everywhere at once. Um, now the, the, the passage we have for this is Job 40 verse 9. And I thought this was a bit of an interesting passage to back up what we're saying here, but when we look at how it's used in the book of Job, I think it'll, it'll prove to be a good passage. Job 49, have you an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like his? Have you an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like his? Now, what's going on in the book of Job? Why is God saying this to Job? Why is he talking about his arm, comparing his arm to God's arm and comparing his voice to God's voice? And that's where we come to where I had you turn, Job 23. So we know from the book of Job, Job deals with a lot of heartache, a lot of difficulty. And throughout it all, um, the Bible says that he remained righteous, but was Job perfect in the way he even handled the difficulty that he faced? No. We actually find that here in Job 23. I'm just going to read, uh, read the whole passage because... Job's going to say some things, and you're like, Job, you really shouldn't be thinking this way. Um, so Job chapter 23, verse 1. Then Job answered and said, Today also my complaint is bitter, and my hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, the him there being God. 
that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know that he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. All right? Whoa, Job. <laughs> like this, he's talking to God and he's saying things like this. There an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Behold, I go forward, forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than the portion of my food. He is unchangeable. Who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me. And many such things are in his mind. Therefore, I am terrified at his presence. When I consider, I am in dread of him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet... I am not silenced because of the darkness, nor because thick darkness covers my face. It's interesting here. Job is coming and saying, I'm going to speak my complaint before the Lord. I'm going to argue with him. He is going to have to pay attention to me. Why? Because in Job's mind, he's been righteous. He's followed his steps. He's listened to his word. And it's not fair that he's suffering the way that he's suffering. And then he looks and he says, he says right things about God. He says that God is unchangeable. He talks about how nothing can change his mind, that he's able to do whatever he wants to. But instead of that being a source of comfort and hope for Job, Job says, I'm terrified. I'm, I'm in dread of him. The Almighty has terrified me. And it's because Job is struggling with the, the existence that he is experiencing and saying it just doesn't seem fair. And so that's where we come to Job 40. Job is, or God is, responding, I think, directly to the attitude that Job is having in Job 23. Now, let's be honest. Have you ever had that similar attitude towards God that Job has? Yes. So what do we need when we are faced with crisis moments like that? How are we to handle and work through and seek to grow when we face difficulties like that? And the answer is given for us here in God's word. God comes and, and we're going to look just a little bit further ahead of our, of our verse that we're looking at. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he said, There, there, you poor thing. I'm so sorry you're dealing with this. Let me come and, and help you with this. Is that, is, is that how God... And I don't know about you, but every time I read this particular passage, I'm sort of shocked. Because you would think that that's not how God would deal with Job. But yet he comes and he, he says, I'm going to give you exactly what you need. Now, again, is God all wise? So the way that he acts, the way that he counsels Job is very right. 
Could it be done any better? No. So he responds to him out of the whirlwind, and he tells him, dress for action like a man. All right, you're going to question me? Guess what? I will question you, and you make it known to me. Will even you put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be right? God's words to Job are stark and direct. Job wants to stand over God in judgment of him. That's exactly what God is saying. Are you going to put me in the wrong? Are you going to condemn me? Are you going to look at at your life, speak about your uprightness, and say that I have acted wrongly in this? And then he levels the field by pointing to how Job is not like God. Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like His? The point of this verse is to exhibit before Job how he is nowhere near to being like God. He's not even close. He's not even, you know, we talk about like, he's not even on this, he's not on the same page. He's not even in the same library as God is. He's nowhere near the the level that God is. God is entirely other than Job. And so our question tonight seeks to answer specifically how God is different than us. In what ways do we see the greatness of God that separates him from us exhibited in Scripture? Now, this is important because... As we saw a couple weeks ago when we looked at this, we do things, God's been silent, because, and, and we acted as though God was like one of us. That's our great danger. And that's why looking at the greatness of God is so important, because it reminds us that he's so great and we are so small. In fact, there's a Junior church song like that. He's so great and I'm so small. I don't remember the tune, but I know there's a junior church song like that. It's important for us to keep in mind. Because we have a tendency to think we're so great and we'll keep God just a little bit lower than us. This was Job's mistake. Thinking that God was somehow like him. That he had the right to stand before God and to plead his case. And God comes and does what he says he'll do here in Psalm 50. He rebukes Job. So, God's greatness. I think it's important for us to keep these things in mind as we look to this. Because it's, because remember, um, uh, the most significant thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think about who God is. That is the most significant thing about you. And if you don't view God to be great the rest of your life is going to be a shipwreck because ultimately you're going to, at some point, find depending on yourself rather than upon him. So how is God's greatness seen? And we saw those different things listed in the answer to the question. But the thing I wanted us to focus on is the fact that, as it says, he is invisible. And I've sort of sum this up with this phrase. We see God's greatness in his spiritual 
substance. All right, we see God's greatness in his spiritual substance. Um, we don't really talk about God's invisibility that much. All right? It's not a topic that's discussed often in churches. Um, now, sometimes when we hear this term invisibility, we think of it like a superpower, all right? Like, oh, I'm here, and then, oh, now you, know, now you see me, now you don't. We think about the magicians who do all sorts of you know, illusions and things like that, and they make things disappear. And I think sometimes that's what we're looking at or thinking of when we think about invisibility. But that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about God. It's not as though God is, is like us and then becomes not like us in some sense and then goes back to being like us, like it's some sort of cloak that he takes on and off. Rather, the invisibility of God is a reminder to us of the existence of a metaphysical world. Now, I'm going to use, we're going to talk a little philosophical here, and it's going to be guided by Scripture, but I think it's important to sort of broaden that a little bit. So, metaphysical, all right? How many of you heard that term? Metaphysical? Heard the term metaphysical, all right? What does that term mean, metaphysical? That's what I thought. <laughs> so, so, it literally means beside the physical. And from a philosophical viewpoint, metaphysical is everything that is beyond or apart from the physical universe. So when we talk about metaphysics or metaphysical things, we're talking about things that are not substantive from a physical standpoint. Are you following me? So, so we would use another term for that. It starts with an S. It's the, huh? Supernatural, spiritual. Supernatural, spiritual. Both of those words will work well there. Um, God is not physical. Right? So when we talk about his invisibility, we are making the statement that he is not physical. He is metaphysical. He is spiritual. He is supernatural. Um, this makes God substantively different than everything else that is, that is in existence. All right? And I think even to some extent, the term spiritual or supernatural can even be a little misleading because the spiritual world and the supernatural world, to some extent, God is also meta-spiritual and meta-supernatural because where do those things come from? From Him. The spiritual and supernatural world would not exist unless God had spoken it into existence, right? Because does anything exist apart from God's creative work? No. So even... So we're going to use that because I think for our small little pea-sized finite brains, that's the best way of describing it. But God is even one degree removed from the spiritual realm as well because the spiritual realm comes from us. God is substantially different from us. And that means then that it makes it impossible for us to interact with the natural universe in order to know him. Now that's so important to keep in mind. How would we know about God? He has to do what for us to know about him? He has to reveal himself to us. Why? Because he's not of this world. He's invisible. He must interact with the physical realm for his existence to be known. Which brings us to the passage Bart was preaching on Sunday morning. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, 
we understand that the universe, and universe there is referring to everything, the universe was created by what? The word of God, so that what is seen is made, was not made out of things that are what? Visible. So, so the implication then is the things that we see, where do they come from? Do they come from visible things? They come from invisible things, particularly the invisible God. Now, when we talk about this idea that God made everything out of that which was not visible, or that there was no matter that God worked with to create what exists, this is, we, we talk about this God creating out of nothing. There's a Latin phrase that's often used in response to that. Anyone know that Latin phrase? Ten billion Sunday school bonus points. Ex nihilo, right. Um, but Jimmy raised his hand, so he gets the points. You answered, but he gets the points. Um, yeah, ex nihilo, all right? Out of nothing. Now, this is vital. This is vital to our understanding about the world in which we live. The world and the society in which we live and move is primarily materialistic, is it not? All right? Society is materialistic. Now, that's tr- it's true that society is materialistic from the, from the standpoint that they want to gain things. They want to heap up treasures on earth, and they want to have toys and have money and all those type of things. So we think about materialism from that perspective. But I'm broadening that even more so that the world apart from God, the world apart from his grace, they view the physical realm as the only realm, the only thing that exists. It focuses on the fact that the material world is the only world in existence. This is why the great way of knowing things in this world today is done through science. What is necessary for science to function? How does, how does ultimately science work? It works through what? Observation. observation. It observes things and then makes deductions about those observations. Um, how, does, how does science explain the existence of the universe? Is it out of nothing? Does science say that the universe exists because it came out of nothing? But, but what, what, what big banged? Was there something that that big banged? Right. So, so there's, been, there's been discussions about what they call, um, the, the, this, what they call the, the particle that exploded, or now the term that's often being used is a singularity. And they talk about that singularity referring to um, something that is hot and something that is dense. Now, when you describe something that exists that has heat and has density, are you talking about material or immaterial things? Material things. So they can't explain how it all happened, but the one thing they do know is that before there was anything, there was something. And that something was not God. That something was what? Heat and density. And I'm not exact. I'm too dense to understand what that, what that means or, or understand all that, that's involved in that. Um, science works through observation. The world focuses on materialism. But this world is all that exists. Now listen, is the Christian life opposed to observational science? No. We, God made us physical. But we also have to recognize that 
this physical world is not all that there is. That in fact the natural world exists because there is something invisible that lays behind the natural world that created the natural world. It's important to note that this immaterial world is not some new age, fluffy, undefined spiritual realm. That's what new age and Eastern mysticism says. They'll say, they'll agree, yes, there's a spiritual world out there, but there's no definition to it that we're connected to it through chakras and chis and, and you know, we have to do all sorts of stuff to get in touch with the great, great being and the great beyond, if you will. But notice what the writer of Hebrews tells us. Is the invisible world from which, or the invisible person or being from which everything else exists, is it undefined? What, what does the writer of Hebrews say? Does he, does, is it undefined? No. Notice how did God create? He created by his word. He spoke. He grounded the existence of the material world in propositional truth. Now, that's something I think we miss when we look at God's, we talk about the power of God's word and how it brought all these things into existence, and that's absolutely the case. But the fact that God said, let there be light, he commanded something to happen, and then what happened? There was light. What does that tell us about his power and his truth? If I want to know light, yeah, he, he's the one who created it. He's the one who defines it. So the world in which we live today, the, the very um, subjective, postmodern world that says that we can't define things, that is an unraveling of the very, um, the very structures that hold this world together. Propositional truth is what was used to create the universe. God spoke. It was not some fuzzy, undefined idea. So if God created everything, he, he who is invisible created everything through his word, then where should we go to understand the natural world? His word. If we start with the physical world and only base our understanding of the physical world on our observation of it, and that's our worldview, then where are we ultimately going to go to understand the world? We're going to go to are the world or ourselves. But the writer of Hebrews is telling us that faith drives us to see the invisible force behind everything that is visible. Paul brings us up in Romans chapter 1. So this invisible being that created everything... How do we know anything about him? And notice what he says. His invisible attributes. I think it's interesting. He calls them his invisible attributes. They're the things that we cannot see. We can't actually look at and quantify the power of God. Right? When we talk about his infinity, his infiniteness, um, that may, infinity is ultimately something we cannot quantify. It's beyond our ability. And so in one sense, infinity is something that's that's invisible. We can't, we can't describe it. We can't put boundaries around it. So what are God's attributes that we cannot put boundaries around? His eternal power and his divine nature. 
Those things are invisible to us. But yet, we know that they exist. How? How did God make his invisibility known? He created. These things, notice what Paul says, they have been clearly perceived. So do you understand what Paul is saying? He's talking about there's these invisible things about God that we know exist. Well, how can that happen? If it's invisible, how do I know that it exists? Because God has revealed them in the, what he has made since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. How do I know that the invisible world exists because the material world exists? Because I can see the invisible power and divine nature of God. I can clearly see that which is invisible in what has been created. It's almost a paradoxical statement, isn't it? You, we see the invisible by seeing what God has done. The only, and here's this is important to keep on, the only explanation for a physical world is the metaphysical reality of God. That is the only reason why, some, why something exists rather than nothing. So, if you, I said we'd talk a little bit about philosophy. So, if you talk about philosophy, one of the first questions that philosophers seek to answer is why is there something rather than nothing? And the Bible gives us the answer there is something rather than nothing because God, because of what God has done. The visible actually confirms the invisible. And so we see ultimately that God who spoke through this, his word finds that his word is seen in his son. Colossians 1, 13 through 15. We are delivered from the domain of darkness, the domain of the material, the domain that only sees the things of this world. We're transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son through the redemption that we have in Christ that forgives us of our sins. And then notice what Paul says. This Christ, this Jesus of Nazareth, he is the image of what? The invisible. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. As the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. God spoke in different ways in various times in the Old Testament. But in these last days, he speaks to us through who? His son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. And then notice this. In his creation, who did God use to create the visible world? The son. Through whom he also created the world. This is something we looked at Sunday night. Understanding our relationship to this invisible God, to know him, we must know Christ. There is no other way for us to know the invisible, but that through the Son, through whom the invisible God created the visible world, and he went even further in sending his son, who was invisible, into, phys into the physical world through the incarnation so that we can now know God through him. 
the argument I think that the scriptures are saying to us is that there is no other way to know God apart from Christ. I mean, we know that from a number of different passages in scriptures, but even from the philosophical underpinnings of the scriptures, the philosophical underpinnings of Christianity, we must know Christ to know this invisible God. And so it shows how great our God is. It is truly amazing to see that all the promises of God, all the glory of God is seen in what Christ has done to redeem us. So that we who are made of dust will be able to commune with, to know, and to spend eternity with this great God. We see the greatness of God in his spiritual substance. Now quickly, there are a few other things that are discussed in the answer to our question. It talks about how he's invisible, that he's eternal. Um, it's important for us to recognize, and, and these things we're going to hit on as we go forward. So the other questions are going to deal with these, with these issues. We have to, I think sometimes when we think about eternality, we think that eternality means that there is no what? End. I think oftentimes we think it's no end because we, Christ offers to us what type of life? Eternal life. Now, do we have a beginning? Yes. But does God have a beginning? No. And so when we talk about his eternality, it is the fact that he has both no beginning and no end. And this, this is one of the things that, that sort of boils my brain pan. All right. I can understand no ending. All right. Um, I've sat in, in lectures in seminary. I can understand that things can have no ending. All right. But I can't understand that the idea of no beginning. And why is that? Because I have a beginning. So it shows that, again, the nature and the quality in which God is greater than us to a greater degree. His omnipotence. His omnipotence makes his sovereignty certain. It makes his providence certain. It makes salvation certain. If there was something that could be more powerful than God, then that's the thing I should be trusting in. And so, and, but the great hope from Scripture is, is there anything more powerful than God? Now, his omniscience speaks primarily of his wisdom. Um, he always knows everything. There's no blind spots in his knowledge. And his decisions are never lacking information. All right, how, how many times would you say, well, if I had known this, I would have done this? All right? So you have, you, we lack knowledge. Does God lack knowledge? No, he, has, he knows everything. And then his omnipresence recognizes that he is everywhere always at the same time. So God is here. And God is in the heavens, and God is in China, and God is on Mars, and God is in the deepest, darkest areas of the cosmos. Right? God is everywhere, always, at the same time. Now, this is another indication that he is different than the material world. There is a law in physics. I'm not a, physici a physician. What do you call a, what do you call a scientist that, uh, that's a... Physicist, not a physician. <laughs> I'm not a physicist, all right? I'm no Albert Einstein, 
or Isaac Newton or anything like that. But uh, there is a law in physics that says that two things cannot occupy the same space, right? But God, so that means that everything is in one place at one time, except for God. Why? Because is he material? No. So, but yet he inhabits the material world. Yet he's invisible in that material world. Right? Scratching your head? Good. I, I'd scratch my head at that. I'm like, how does that work? Because I'm finite and he's infinite. So he is everywhere always. Nothing is done outside of his presence. Nothing is done outside of his presence. So there's two things that this really drives home to us. First of all, the fact that he is present everywhere means that I can relate to him. When he says, pray without ceasing, I'm able to do that because is he there with me at all times? Yes. And then secondly, and this is more convicting, every sin that has ever been committed on the face of this planet Every sin that you have ever committed has been done in the face of a holy and righteous God. That blows my mind. And it shows the abundant mercy of God. You know, if someone is defaming your name right in your face, you're going to react and you're going to slap them right across the face. You're not going to show mercy. We do that to God countless times in our lives. And we are not consumed. What a merciful God. What hope we have in Christ. So, is God great? Yes. And his greatness is seen in the fact that he is eternal, all-powerful, all-wise, and always everywhere at once. Are we like him? Is he like us? Let's not make the mistake like Job did. We don't have an arm like God. We cannot thunder with a voice like his. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth we find in it. Lord, thank you for your greatness. Father, we thank you that, that you are so different, so other than us, but yet you relate to us through Christ. That he is the key to knowing the invisible God. Father, may we take these truths and, and consider them, meditate on them, and seek to be transformed by them as we live every day in the presence of the great and only God who is. We pray this in Christ's name, pleading his blood. Amen. Thanks for joining us online. Thanks for joining us here in person. Have a great week.